The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to The Waves for Thursday, October 25th, the She's Running edition. I'm Christina Cotarucci, a staff writer at Slate and host of the Slate podcast Outward. And you are in for a treat this week. In anticipation of the upcoming midterm elections, we have a very special episode, TM, planned for today. And because of that, I am pleased to welcome a Waves host from the other week of the show, Hannah Rosen of NPR's Invisibilia. We overlap at last. I know. I'm so excited. And I've I've gotten so into the midterms. It's unusual for me. (laughs) I'm like listening to every podcast I can listen to about the midterm. I've listened to like, you know, 30 episodes of 538. I'm like, I just I'm just into it. This this midterm time. It just I feel like I feel all the drama. Well, you'll have another episode to listen to on Thursday. Also here with me in D.C. is Latifa Lyles, a vice president at the National Network to End Domestic Violence and the former director of the Women's Bureau at the Labor Department under Barack Obama. She's also a D.C. Democratic State Committee woman. Hi, Latifa. Hi. And this week's episode is a collaboration with Glamour Magazine. So to help us dig into the midterms, we have a fourth host this week, Glamour's senior political reporter, Celeste Katz, who is calling in from out on the trail where she's reporting. Welcome to The Wave, Celeste. Hey, it's great to be here with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably not news to you that there is an election coming up on November 6th. There's been a lot of talk about this proverbial blue wave, a backlash to Trump that could win Democrats the House. Uh, And with more women running for office than ever, a lot of people are hoping that the election will usher in an unprecedented number of female senators and representatives in Congress and maybe even governors. So today we are going to devote the whole episode to women in politics. First, we'll take a look at how female candidates have presented themselves in their campaigns this year. We'll discuss how this slate of candidates has changed what it means to be a woman running for political office. Then we'll decide whether electing more women to office will make a substantive difference in the lives of their constituents and whether gender parity is really the key to better policies. And finally, we will talk about fictional women in politics and how those depictions have evolved over time. If you're a Slate Plus member, you will get an especially juicy Slate Plus segment today, I hope. We're going to discuss whether or not it's sexist that activists have raised millions of dollars to fund a challenger to Maine Senator Susan Collins as punishment for her vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, while the many, many, many male senators who supported Kavanaugh are just getting ignored. If you're not a Slate Plus member yet, and you should be, you can start your free two-week trial by visiting slate.com slash thewavesplus. And before we get started, we actually have one order of business. We are going to Miami next month. We Woo-hoo! have, Yeah, we are so excited. Uh, we don't get well, to Miami Can we hang to out Miami together even though we're on different weeks, like outside of the podcast? Uh, I think out? so. Well, we're both going to be, Hannah and I will both be on our Miami episode. Um, it's I, it's so hard for me not to make uh, like Will Smith Miami joke right now, but I know <laughs> that people who actually live in Miami are probably sick of people saying like, welcome to Miami. But um, so I, I thought I was going to stop myself from doing that, but I just did it. Anyway, the live show is on November 17th. It's going to be Hannah, Noreen and me. And I'm so excited for our guests. We're going to have Rebecca Traster and Celeste Ng with us. Um, They're going to be at the Miami Book Fair discussing their books. Um, So if you're in Miami or near Miami, or if you've been looking for an excuse to visit Miami, please come. Tickets are free. Uh, You can get more details at slate.com slash live. All right. First topic today. We know that there are a ton of women running for office. 476 women filed to run just for House seats in the 2018 election. That was 60 percent more than the previous high in 2012. And 235 of those women won their primaries, which was up from 167 in 2016, which was the former record. But in addition to that, 
quantifiable jump in the number of women on the ballot. There's also been a qualitative difference in how female candidates have marketed themselves. So multiple women have shown themselves breastfeeding in their campaign ads. They're showing their tattoos. They're wearing jeans and T-shirts and getting ultrasounds. Uh, And it seems like for a lot of candidates, this year has sort of marked an opportunity to stop pretending that they're just like any male candidate, that the experience of living as a woman is sort of incidental to their qualifications for political office. And they're making it more of a part of their affirmative argument for themselves. Um, So, Celeste, you've been following a lot of these races. Which candidates have stood out to you as far as self-presentation is concerned? There have been a lot of women that have done some innovative things that I think really the idea that uh, a lot of us have looked at is this idea of of authenticity on the trail. That, as you say, it's no longer sort of a, a hindrance, so to speak, although obviously it never should have been considered one. But, you know, now that it's, it's not just uh, OK to be a woman, it's important to be a woman. Being a woman means maybe you've had experiences that men haven't had or that you consider problems in a way that men don't consider them. Um, being a mom isn't uh, something traditionally that voters have uh, lacked questions about. There's research that shows that uh, female candidates are questioned by voters as to whether they can, quote, handle uh, the the rigors of public life while taking care of their families. Now you see a lot of women out there, uh, as you say, breastfeeding, but also talking about being a mom and being a family person as um, as a qualification as an experience. And that that is something that's been really prominent in this race. Uh, not every candidate who does this wins. We had uh, one candidate in New York, uh, Zephyr Teachout, who was running for state attorney general, uh, who was pregnant during the uh, campaign uh, in the primaries. She even had an ad uh, where she was undergoing a sonogram. You could literally hear the baby's heartbeat um, while she's talking about how awesome she'd be at this office. So it was uh, something I I don't believe I had seen in any of the 85,000 campaigns I'd covered before this. Uh, but you can I can, one, can I know? just wait? Yeah. Can I just um, you use the word authentic? It's so interesting. That stuck out to me because I to me, it felt it feels performative like when you and I love it. I'm not saying performative in a bad way, but it but to me, what's like intoxicating when you sit down and watch these videos is that they're like performing motherhood on the ads. It's like so in your face. It's not the way like the male campaign ads just have their like family around. I have a family. They're like in your face with my breastfeeding and my ultrasound. It's like very performative. I wouldn't say femininity, but just like femaleness in a way which feels very badass to me. Yeah, it. I hesitate to use the word gimmicky, but that was the first word that sort of popped to my mind when I watched the the two candidates who were breastfeeding in their ads, uh, both of them lost their primaries, but one was running for uh, Maryland governor. The other was running for governor of Wisconsin. And the fact that both of them were breastfeeding in their videos, it seemed slightly awkward, like they were trying to make it seem like, oh, this wasn't planned. And I just had to breastfeed at this exact moment that my commercial had to be filmed. Like we couldn't have timed it around the baby's feeding schedule. And uh, and it was clear to me that, you know, they had probably thought a lot about this because if you're, you know, not that they were actually showing their breasts, but if you're sharing this intimate moment with your baby on camera, like clearly you've planned it. Uh, and same with Zephyr Teachout in when, you know, I don't think I've even seen a political candidate's belly button before, like much less watching them get a medical procedure in a doctor's office. And so I agree with you, Hannah. It was kind of shocking to me. And yeah, I don't think I got the authenticity vibe, but I did get the I am trying to be authentic vibe. Yeah, I guess <laughs> the, sta- the statement part of it is really clear. And if there's a time for folks to make a statement, I guess folks are like, this is it. This is my time to show my boob on, on camera. Uh, but, you know, I did have this moment when, you know, certainly the fact that there has to be such a dramatic you know, display is, I think, in some ways, a little bit of a backlash against like, I need to show up as gender neutral as possible, which, you know, historically, a lot of women have done um, down to how they dress and how they don't talk about their family or family responsibilities. Because 
of the fear that it might seem that, um, you know, just like when you walk into a, a job, a job uh, interview, you, you don't start you don't start off by saying, so I have five kids and I'm expecting another one. And there's this conversation about whether that's even OK for people to ask. So there is very much still this very strong in any I think m- most workplaces, maybe well, yeah, I would say most workplaces where this idea of motherhood, there's, you know, we call the motherhood penalty, where whether it's getting a job, keeping it, uh, wages, running for office, um, this is this is really the 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 contrast to that is so stark. And I think it's important that it's so stark because the penalty is paid so much every day. Okay, but Latifa, did it freak you out? Like actually watching them? Because for me, (laughs) I was like, I was really scared. Like the penalty is real. Like the cultural visceral Mm -hmm. stereotypes are real. Like I actually was like, I could, I, my mind was racing when I watched these ads because I thought, like, I was like, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't just, like, did you watch them as somebody who's actually been through this? Did you watch them and think, like, yeah, absolutely. Uh-oh. And also, somebody who, you know, just like throwing my hat in the ring for local politics and thinking in that, like, it, I, I was like, I would, that was, that is absolutely something that I would never do, nor would I advise someone to do on what's for, the that. Be the, a woman or breastfeed or like what would you just, never do? You know, do? it's just like keep it <laughs> on some level. Like I'm also one of these people. It's like very private, and it just seems like a very intimate, private moment. And the sort of oversharing culture is one of those things where I'm just like, you know, even like I have I have family members who are like, don't take pictures of your bare belly when you're pregnant. That's crazy. <laughs> um, so like, there, there's definitely like this this foundation that I have um, for my upbringing of of you know modesty. When it comes to, um, you know, bodies and, you know, even putting your kids out there, you know, that's the other piece of it that um, I was kind of shocked about, too. But, oh, absolutely. I was like, no, because now you're going to be like the breastfeeding candidate. And that's all right. anyone's going to ever <laughs> yeah. talk about. You're the breastfeeding candidate, which is what we're talking about right now. Maybe that's maybe that's the point, though. I mean, the fact is we are talking about it. If you think about all the candidates that were out there that were sort of uh you know, you might think of them in their in their eighties power suits, not trying to show that they're just one of the guys not breastfeeding. Well, yeah. that would be I didn't see anybody breastfeeding in an eighties power like, suit. Not only not breastfeeding, may... but not having breasts. You know, like Probably. everything's so covered yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it. You know, the fact is, it is getting attention, and a lot of people got a lot of attention through these ads that they might not have gotten. And of course, that's just one part of the story. But uh, you know, I think people sort of also, uh, at least observationally, if this was a year to do it, this was going to be the year. This was going to be Why? the time to sort of turn the tables. Well, because uh, you know, because women have been so much at the forefront of politics uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the Me Too movement, in terms of just a, a backlash uh, to. Uh, Donald Trump to sort of translating the passion and the intensity of the women's march into action. You know, walking with a sign for a lot of people wasn't enough to to uh, to express or to 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 take action on how they felt about a lot of stuff the Trump administration was doing, and that was way before Brett Kavanaugh got involved in the picture. So I think very much being forward and out there about being a woman. Yeah, sometimes look, I mean, by the the third ad, uh, you know, the, just being like breastfeeding or being basically like, you know, hey, ladies, uh, that kind of thing. Maybe it starts to look a little rote. But uh, there were people willing to take that chance, especially in these crowded primaries where you got to stand out from the crowd or, you know, you're just you're wasting your time. And also, Celeste, you wrote in um, a piece about women candidates that uh, if women don't confront questions about, you know, having kids and balancing their life at home with their life in public, they will take a hit with voters. And so I wonder if some of these women, by coming out and saying, like, look, I am a woman, I am a mom, here's what my life looks like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not at home, like, surrounded by primary colored children's toys all the times and like a burp cloth on my shoulder that they're trying to uh, get out ahead of some criticisms that they might face or some stereotypes that might be projected onto them. Yeah, I think that there is a reality there that for women candidates, those questions with voters are different than for men. I mean, you see men featuring, you know, their loving wife and family in their commercials all the time. And it's never like, 
God, how is he going to make it work? Being a dad, being in public office, <laughs> it's just too much, you know? So you don't, you don't get that dynamic. But with women, some people are like, but what about the children, you know? And then it's, it's, it's really not fair. So you do have to, you do have to talk about that. Uh, there was a big case even, um, uh, in this cycle with a woman who's running for Congress out, uh, on Long Island in New York who, uh, convinced the FEC to let her use some of the money that she'd raised in donations for childcare. Uh, and, and that was a kind of a big deal. So wow. the, the fact that it took this long, I mean, it's 2018. People you know, had kids before this midterm cycle. And the fact that uh, this is just coming up now is, is to me kind of amazing. The other thing I want to say is that I think that to the to the to the folks that are saying, at least on the Dem side, there has to be a change in the playbook because, you know, we're losing on message and we're not reaching people or maybe both parties are having that problem. So the other point I think is important is that in addition to standing out, it's like, how do I relate to voters and how do I get people out in the midterm? How do I relate in a way that is outside the party norms. And this is one way that people have reached out outside the norms in cases where women are running without endorsement of the the national party or, you know, without the coffers and, and the financial backing. Um, and there is this sense that, you know, we, we have to change and not be the everyone. No one wants to be the establishment right now uh, because because, you know, that's a losing message for for every town in America. So I think that. um you know, I think that is another piece of it is like, how can I, you know, d- dissociate myself from the the political establishment and the expected candidate? Because, you know, whether which side you're on, we're losing um, with with that with that paradigm. So can we just spin out like best possible scenario of this wave of ads? Now, we're just talking imagery here, right? We're not talking about who's going to win right yet like best possible scenario of all these ads and like worst possible scenario like best possible scenario is we change the language around political presentation we make it more real we allow women to be themselves it's a kind of authenticity like it leads to authenticity eventually because women can be more honest about like the realities they face and what their life is like and like they can they can handle it you know um and so there isn't this kind of unspoken question around whether women are able to do power and children at the same time. OMG. Um, What's the worst possible scenario? I think it's exactly the stuff that you described that I I think it's... uh People have have a reaction to it. Women have a bad reaction to it. They think it's sort of cheap i hate to use that word but it's sort of like let me ex- let me exploit my adorable baby to get you to vote for me because i really want to go to congress or i really want to be mayor or i really want something i want something from you and i am using my personal story to to tug at your heartstrings and to get it which is uh kind of a lot of what people do all along other than the other options are either read your resume or uh talk about uh how bad the other guy is and and what a chump, you know, what a chumpy is now you should never vote for him because No, but I mean like spin it out even further. So like that's what happens in this and so therefore what happens for women in politics. So like let's say people think it's cheap trick or they're just not buying it for some reason then what? We're just back to square zero. Or women or people think I so I read some of the YouTube comments on uh one of these uh campaign videos with a breastfeeding candidate. It was um Maryland gubernatorial candidate Krish Vignaraja. And I should never read the comments. I know that. And I usually never read the comments. But I'm like, I want to know what the people are saying about this video. And the YouTube people were saying things like, just because you show your titties on TV doesn't mean you can be governor. They called her. (laughs) And and meanwhile, you know, her breast was not exposed. I think it's very important that we make that clear. But uh, they called her an entitled bimbo. They said, you know, Hillary tried to do the whole woman thing and it failed, which I thought was hilarious. Like as if, you know, just by being a woman running, you're like doing the woman thing. Doing the woman thing. (laughs) Um, Someone else transcribed the ad and replaced the word woman with vajayjay. Um, Jesus. So I think, and not that YouTube comments. Why did you just do that, Christina? We were, we were kind of riding like the little wave the there. Line. So I, I think it's important we to say that good. probably none of these YouTube commenters will vote. Probably a lot of them don't even live in the U.S., I was guessing, based on the way they were spelling some of their words. But 
I do think that it, if if I took that as like the pulse of the public, I think – or the pulse of the worst possible scenario of the public, I would say that people will look at videos like this that sort of forefront the things that people usually say make women look weak and they'll – project those things onto all women candidates to say that, you know, uh, women yeah. are just like breastfeeders. They're just people who get sonograms all the time. Right. They're only moms, you know, and even a woman who doesn't have kids is like, I'm thinking of her through the lens of this other candidate who I think showed her quote unquote titties on TV. Yeah. And I and I think that the the broader question about whether we can use identity or at least embrace identity as an asset in politics is is still in a lot of people's minds, especially following the 2016 presidential election where it was like, we can, we can't, we can, we should. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's the it's the identity or the, the, the gender or the being the woman itself that is so hard for people to get around um, as opposed to I'm a candidate and I'm really qualified. And that's why you should believe me, even if you don't think women should be in power, which is kind of sucks and cynical. But for those people who are already having a hard time with women in power. Um, this sort of meeting you where you are, i.e. in my pantsuit or my like collared shirt, uh, sort of, uh, I think, alienates those people that, you know, maybe it's a much smaller slice of the American electorate. But there's definitely this folks who kind of squirm around and have never seen locally even a woman, um, you know, in, in any power at all. So that this goes the other direction and, you know, pantsuits will make a comeback. I don't know. <laughs> I want to talk about two female candidates who had ads that sort of went viral and uh, they were ads that tried to make them look extremely strong. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say traditionally masculine. These are two women who were in the armed forces. One was MJ Hagar, uh, who's running for Congress in Texas. Um, she had, I want to say, one of the most viral videos, viral campaign videos of all time, Ever. especially for a candidate who was, you know, had no history in political office. Um, and I think we can probably listen to a clip of it. But my story <laughs> begins much earlier. One of my first memories was of a door, but it was my dad throwing my mom through a glass. Three years later, mom got the courage to walk out the door and she opened a new one for my sister and me here in Texas. And it was here that I put my foot on the gas and followed my dream to be a pilot. And that meant opening, pushing, sometimes kicking through every door that was in my way. So, yeah, you know, she shows herself not only caring for her kids and playing with toys with them, but also uh, she talks about when she got shot down piloting a helicopter in Afghanistan. And there's this one line where she's like, uh, you know, I, I strapped myself to the skids and returned fire on the Taliban. And then like, <laughs> oh, my God, I love that ad so much. And then Can like the next again? scene, she's like, you know, back at home. Um, and the other candidate was Amy McGrath. She's running for Congress in Kentucky. Uh, she's also a pilot um, in the Marines. But both of these women, not only did they talk about their military service, they talked about lobbying to get women into combat roles in the military and the men who shut them down. And I thought showing that sort of like female power in the face of men who didn't want them to have power was extremely powerful and possibly, uh, you know, a, a way forward for women who are wanting to show like that they are both women and strong. I thought that the, there was a great parallel with that, with those two messages with the current climate right now, which is very much like I survived, it's like the survivor as opposed to the sort of like I'm a woman, so that's okay. I think that the the message, especially in light of the political and social discourse around, um, you know, assault and other things that are coming to light is the survivor story. And I felt like they were very survivor centric. Someone even talked about um, history of, you know, some oh, yeah. abuse growing up. And so this sense of like, you know, I'm a survivor um, and bringing the story comes along with it a skill like, you know, so the story is not just like I'm a person and I'm very, you know, I'm like you, but like I'm I'm using the story to sort of show a strength that I can bring to the office, which is very different, obviously, than uh, what we just talked about um, on the on the breastfeeding 
So I, I was very moved by these, but, but and also like just women in combat generally is is extremely exciting to me. Yeah, I got to say, listeners, all of you should go out and watch this out if you haven't seen it. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. You can find it. It is so genuinely moving. I mean, yeah. it's what you you just said, like it's a survivor thing. But to me, what was perfect about it was the tone. Like it didn't, the tone was extremely practical. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was like, I did this and I was flying the plane and then this happened and then the kids came and then this happened. And then I went, knocked on doors, couldn't do it, did something else. It's like, it's like, it's like you you really have to read the survivor thing between the lines because there's so much action in it. And the doors trope is really, really good. Um, And so you just like, you trust this person. Like you trust this person to feel things, but have everything under control. Like it is such a good political ad. It's amazing. The uh, the MJ Hagar ad was was a f- very very effective for a lot of the reasons that everybody here is talking about. I mean, yeah, it is exciting. It is exciting to talk about this woman being in the military and and having this experience and you know earning a Purple Heart. Um, but at the same time, there is a narrative that runs through it. The idea that that uh, her experience and sort of the pitch for this candidate can be summed up. Uh, in this idea of doors, of of passing through doors, of of going, you know, entering doors, knocking, kicking in doors, is is very effective, and I, it really got people's attention. And it wasn't so much necessarily about like, hey, I'm a woman, but I'm a woman who did this, who lived through that, who will do this for you. And it's it it came off as it didn't come up as perhaps as forced, and it also didn't come off apparently from what I'm hearing from everybody here is it didn't come off as icky. Which is, yeah. which I think kind of, kind of important here. No, my gosh, it's like blown up in a helicopter. Like it's definitely not icky. You know? And there's definitely this, this, I, I, I have less of an idea of what the sort of anti feminine or this, the folks who are like, you know, the gratuitous ads mean nothing. Um, you know, uh, criticism that a lot of women are getting is sort of like, you need a real platform if you're going to be in office. This is not real. Even if you have one, all they see is, you know, your breast. So I think this is, this is very different, too, in the solicitation of responses from the naysayers who say, you know, uh, tell us about what you're going to do, not about who you are, which is ridiculous in politics because it should be about who you are. But if you're going to be, you know, it's an opportunistic argument to say, like, you know, I, I, I think that this person doesn't have um, a real platform, which I mean, this, this is the way ads work. So I think it has a much better staying power um, as a strategy. Yeah, I mean, and. I was trying to think whether it's a replicable strategy for other candidates who maybe haven't been shot down in a helicopter and returned fire on the Taliban and, you know, uh, was one of the people who got the Pentagon to change their policy about allowing women in combat roles. Um, But I think the way, like you said, Latifah, she uh, she takes her personal narrative and her identity and translates that into how she would actually lead. And in our next segment, we'll actually talk about how identity does or does not inform how people lead. I think that's a thing that could possibly capture voters' attention more than just, uh, you know, even if you haven't had all of these experiences, you survived domestic violence and, you know, anybody can sort of take their own background and make a story like this. It's just an incredibly good set of communication skills that she and her advisors have. I do wonder, though, if there's a way to tell the story, like a lot of the research that shows that, you know, women tend to be more or overqualified and, um, you know, don't think of themselves as, as ready for office. So the women that we get are like, you know, way overqualified, not necessarily for the job, but compared to men. Um, in a lot of cases, and I wonder, and part of the, the the thing there is how many things that one potentially has to overcome. There's less, there are less paths laid out for women, I guess. There's less of a legacy assumption. You have to sort of make your case. And I do think there's possibly a way to translate that into a message. So it isn't like you, you, you got shot down in a plane, but you could say like the path here was not easy, which I think would distinguish for m- many women themselves from from the male candidates. And so some level, you want people to think you have money and backers, and you don't want people to know that you're not, you know, raising money. But at the same time, there's a message in like, you know, I decided to do this, and I've been able to make it to this point without X, Y, and Z. And that could be a way to answer your question. Um, are there any other candidates or ads that y'all have uh, that stood out to you? Well, there's that Heidi Heitkamp arm wrestling one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I couldn't one believe was it. Really funny. Yeah, uh, 
So uh, Heidi Heitkamp is uh, a senator, Democratic senator, in a very, very tough race in uh, North Dakota. And she put out an ad that shows her uh, sitting at a table arm wrestling with this guy twice her size (laughs) wearing a muscle shirt. And she's talking to the camera as they're as they're uh, going at it there. But she's saying that it's she says, you know, maybe this is how we should decide elections. And her premise, of course, is that that would be a ridiculous way to decide elections. Uh, But it's it's an attack ad. It is it is going after her opponent. But the idea of a woman arm wrestling in a political commercial, again, uh, having covered a lot of these, not something I remember seeing too, you know, too often uh, in, in terms of advertising. But, you know, the, again, sort of the point that we've gotten to to this level says a lot of things about this campaign. It says it talks about, um, you know, the different strategies, uh, the fact that you, know, you could be you could be a little bit more blithe. She's not actually saying she's going to you know, beat up, physically beat up the other guy. But there is this sort of, you know, male, female uh, component there. And uh, uh also, it's just it was just eye catching. It's just something you look at and you're like, "What the hell is going on here?" Yeah, and at the end, she does beat him, and she says something to her opponent, like, "Kevin, I'm just getting warmed up." It's like a little bit of a threat. Uh, so yeah, I think the the person watching that video was supposed to think like, "Wow, Heidi Heitkamp, like so strong, so powerful, right. <laughs> so manly." Well, I, the other thing I wanted to just quickly mention, we've been talking about women in this race and using issues of the day related specifically to women in their ads, um, you know, specifically around things like sexual assault and domestic violence and being survivors. And I, whereas, you know, we would not necessarily have seen that in the past or in past election cycles. But the other thing we're seeing is men doing the same, um, using this opportunity to appeal to the elusive or the, the women voters that everyone's been talking about are, you know, the ones to to appeal to right now because of the loss of of women voters and their trust of all of these falling, um, you know, politicians and other folks who have been accused of misdeeds. And so the, the other interesting part of right now is, uh, I think you were to p- part mentioning, you know, Andrew Cuomo's mention of of sexual assault or in his ads. And in some cases, it's very clear that the men are just like sort of ticking a box. And in other cases, you may not know how they feel one way or the other. And others, it's very clear that it's totally opportunistic and totally not on that authentic at all. Um, and, you know, my question when I see those, like, is that really working? Do people really believe yeah. that, you know, this guy is, is is really super excited about his ability to get into office and actually do something about um, sexual assault? And we see that there's history that bears that some cases there's a very, there's a lot of doubt yeah. <laughs> that that's the case. Uh, let's leave it there then. Listeners, let us know what you think about the ads that forefront the womanness and the the motherhood of the candidates. Uh, you can email us at thewaves@slate.com. All right. Our next topic today, do women make a difference? If all the women who won their congressional primaries end up winning their general elections, which is not going to happen, a lot of them are running against Republicans in very conservative districts, would that leadership meaningfully differ from any other Democrat-majority Congress? Uh, I have a tough time with this question sometimes uh, because I know that there's a ton of studies that show that women do pursue different policy priorities in office. Um, But a lot of that has to do with the fact that so few women in office are Republicans. And so to insist on that there's some sort of essential difference between like a progressive woman and a progressive man feels a little uncomfortable to me. Uh, Hannah, what do you think? You know, I think it's like a it's, you're right. It's completely theoretical, which is pathetic that it's completely <laughs> theoretical. Like the best studies that I've or the best sort of test case for me that I've read about this is the women on Norwegian boards, like when Nor- <laughs> Norway passed a law saying that a certain percentage of their corporate boards had to be female and then sort of tr- 
tracked that or some somebody tracked that and, and saw whether it made a difference in decision making. And the one difference in decision making that they pointed out was not so much that like women were more empathetic or that they, they focused on a different set of issues, but that they weren't as reactive, which actually made a difference. So when there was a recession, for example, they didn't instantly fire people like they weren't super focused on the bottom line. They had kind of a long view. So that's a form of empathy. Like, let's let's look at the long term and see things play out over time. Um, so I, I don't really know how to translate that to politics. Like, um, I'm, I'm often torn between thinking, well, is the right future we're hoping for a future in which women can be anything? Like, is that what we want? Um, or do we want, we just want women to be progressive and hmm. like everyone should be Stacey Abrams? <laughs> Well, I do think everyone <laughs> should only. be Stacey Abrams. I do, too. She's amazing. <laughs> everyone should be. I want to be Stacey Abrams. I'm just saying. Like, in my mind, I'm just yeah. not sure what is ideal for the world. You I know? think it, there's no question that the idea that somebody has to scrap and, you know, get to the top of whichever political branch they get to. I can't dissociate that. I think that, you know, there's there's a story there. There's a paving the way potentially for other women, even if it's, you know, with a set of more conservative viewpoints. I know that's a little um, controversial, but I think that we're so divided on partisan lines these days that I can't even tell sometimes who's a feminist and who's not a feminist. And I think because we associate so many progressive policies that benefit women with the parties, we kind of let a lot of the candidates off the hook, a lot of the elected officials on both sides off the hook. It's like, like there are a lot of progressives that I'm not 100% sure, women or men, that they're feminists per se, because they support tick the box or pro-choice and they're like, I'm good. But that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, there's not, they're not, you know, things going on in their offices or they're not like perpetuating misogyny in some other way, which, as we know, has come up with some Democratic lawmakers who were, um, who sort of like faded in, into the black because of um, uh, being accused of harassment and assault. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I personally think that. It's a it's about what happens in our day, everyday lives and like thinking of, you know, feminism and, and whether or not something is good for women on partisan lines is extremely difficult for me. Speaking of partisanship, I think it's it's important to remember. I mean, I've seen a lot of um, uh, of research that would suggest that partisanship is more important than gender. In the mm -hmm. end, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican is going to be uh, more important, perhaps, in the decision making process or in how you vote than whether you're a man or a woman. Um, you see, uh, you see studies that show that women are perceived as more trustworthy. Um, you also see uh, indicate that uh, uh, women may be more collaborative and more into teamwork outside of government. But once you get into once you get into, you know, the matrix, so yep. to speak, does that you know, how much does that change? I think a lot of people find it. It, it, it is uh, it is different than uh, than in the real world. You know, real real world uh, U.S. capital may be different than, you know, real world like successful business. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about women who are Republicans and whether I should be excited for them to succeed. I mean, this this wave of women we've seen running for office is absolutely limited to the Democratic Party. The, I mean, there are no more Republican women running now than there were 10 years ago. And um, Republican women have trouble now because they have to kind of walk this line that's very difficult to walk yeah. at this particular moment. Trump whatever. It's really hard at this particular moment for Republican women to run. Right. And I almost think this is uh, probably anti-feminist of me in some way, but I think that it's almost worse when a conservative woman succeeds than when, uh, you know, any normal like bad Republican man succeeds because they're able to funnel their arguments against gender equality and against feminism through a woman's perspective. So when they say something like, oh, yeah, you know, Christine Blasey Ford is lying and women lie about sexual assault, then men can point to them and say like, oh, well, look, look what women are saying. And people can feel better about subscribing to that viewer or, or parroting that perspective because a woman has said it. Um, and that I think about people like Sarah Palin, who really did forefront her motherhood in her campaign um, for vice president and the way people use their sort of mom status to justify racism and xenophobia, like keeping their kids safe from 
uh, MS-13. And when you hear politicians talk about trans people in bathrooms, it's always invoking this idea of like a little daughter being accosted by a man in the bathroom. I feel like there are ways that people can use their womanhood and their motherhood uh, to to harm people in ways that like uh, any old man can't because they're easier to brush off as, oh, well, that's a man talking. Oof, that's a really hard one, you know, because you're absolutely right. You're like 100 percent right. Maybe it's just in phases. Like I sort of want eventually like 70 years from now for it to be possible for women to occupy lots of different spaces. Like there isn't just one way to be a woman. Um, yeah. I mean, but right I, yeah, now I, I it's like super that. damaging. You know, like right now what you're saying is super damaging, like at this particular moment. Yeah. Um, I will say that I think being a woman does matter when we're talking about reproductive rights, even even within progressives and the pro-choice community. Um, I was reading an article recently about um, Australia in the state of Queensland. They The parliament just voted to legalize abortion, which had been banned since 1899. And people have been crediting that shift with more women coming into political office. And I remember when Hillary Clinton ran for president and she talked about abortion during one of the debates she had with Donald Trump, it felt different to me. And I would actually be curious to hear from men, um, any, if any of our male listeners want to write in, how men interpreted that, because to me, it felt completely different from even when extremely progressive men talk about abortion rights, because for her, it felt real. It felt like the stakes were personal. It wasn't just like, oh, this is a political issue that I feel passionate about. This is about like women's bodies and flesh and blood and something that I can intimately understand. For me, that showed like there's a a difference between just voting the right way and being a leader on certain issues. And I think from that perspective, women's leadership can matter a lot. And we've seen that also uh, in the way that Ayanna Presley, who ousted of an extremely progressive um, congressman in her primary. She's almost certainly going to be um, the next congresswoman from her district in Massachusetts. She said in her campaign, you know, I probably won't vote much differently uh, from this guy that I'm running against, but I will lead differently. And, you know, I pretty sure she's her district is like the only majority people of color district in Massachusetts. She's a black woman and he's white. And so she was like, it makes a difference that I am representing this district. And even though we might have similar views on things, my leadership will be different. Yeah. And who are we kidding? Of course, it's going to be different. Like, do we think if Stacey Abrams doesn't isn't is elected governor, like it won't be different. It will be amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it will just be amazing to watch like these um, and particularly at this moment, because the women who are running are energized in a particular way. And if enough of them win, we'll have models of leadership that work differently and will be driven by identity. Yeah. And I think, that you know, I was just reading something about Theresa May and how for, for multiple reasons, she's problematic for a lot of people. But she's one of these uh, women in power who made a point of saying it's important for women to be in power. And I'm committed to make to making sure more women are in power as a societal exercise, different from what her policy, you know, agenda is, which is, as I said, problematic for lots of people. And, you know, I think that whether or not whatever side you're on, I this idea that we're sort of even hemmed in. Uh, to like this limited scope of 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 hot button political issues is part of the the problem. Mm. You know, it's it's the fact that you you know you've got the party who supports abortion rights and the party who doesn't, and fundamentally, you know, you could have and you do have, but they're hard to they don't always talk about it. There's a lot we've always thought that there's a lot more Republicans and quote unquote you know conservatives who are pro choice, but they don't campaign on that issue yeah. and they don't come out and they don't vote pro-choice because of the partisan divide. And, you know, I think that is what's clouding a lot of this as well, is that you've got to, there's certain things you just can't speak against, which for a lot of feminists are just like, if you're, if you're, if you're not for this, there's no way you can support women and be a feminist. Um, and to some extent, it's sort of almost like how you lead and, you know, and how you, how you talk about women's you know, advancement in society is much more important. And can you do both? Can you talk about women's advancement and not be pro-choice? That's the question. Uh, I just, I was just thinking one thing about um, 
in regard to to sort of these contrasts that we're seeing between uh, the newer women candidates and uh, the older men candidates or more traditional candidates, the example of uh, Rashida Tlaib in Michigan really interests me. I mean, there you have John Conyers, who was, uh, you know, a veteran, veteran lawmaker, I think was there for over 50 years and uh, left uh, office after a bunch of sexual misconduct allegations. And now you have a woman replacing him. I don't know if that's going to be kind of a, a moment for people, if people are going to look at that, that sort of changing of the guard. She has no uh, Republican opponent on the ballot in, in November. So it looks like she's, uh, she's, pretty well on her way to Washington. But, you know, the idea of of that person, that exchange, you know, that succession is, is uh, I don't know, kind of powerful to me. It's it's kind of a, uh, a moment, I think, in, in American politics that's part of something bigger that, that we're talking about. Yeah. All right, listeners, uh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on whether whether women will make a difference once they get into office and how. And also, I yeah, if you're a man and you saw Hillary Clinton talk about abortion, tell me what you thought of that. TheWavesAtSlate.com is our email address. Okay, our third topic today, women in politics on screen. Women have broken all kinds of glass ceilings on TV and in the movies. It's like the Jetsons where in the future we're going to have like flying cars and also a woman president. The future is so much brighter in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> the Jetsons? Yeah. like She was like a stay-at-home mom who like depended on the robot. <laughs> I know, but I'm thinking like the, the idea of a woman as, for example, president or vice president is like is a thing that has never happened in real life for us. But all of those things have happened. Like, you know, we're going to have a robot who's going to cook all of our meals uh, before we're going to have a woman in the White House. That's not true. But I do think that that watching women in office on TV and in movies is like a little bit of wish fulfillment, also a little bit of like projecting our worst fears about what women in power will do. Um, so I think it's not totally off topic as we talk about this landmark election in terms of women's representation, you know, God willing, to talk about what these female politicians in the culture tell us about what we want and what we don't want. Um, Latifa, I'm going to turn it over to you first. Wow. Who do you have for us? So I have a couple. So uh, Claire Underwood from House of Cards, oh, who, who ascends, you know, um, as a result, perhaps, of her making and a combination of her husband's demise, but it's all very cloak and dagger. Um, I think that the it was a very interesting time for that character to to rise as this very shrewd, smart. Um, I've been standing by my husband, who's the president of the United States, and sort of, you know, sort of waiting my for my time, and then very much having her own agenda. Um, and that's very, very clear. And as opposed to sort of, you know, waiting for her time to sort of like jump into the machine. I think the, the the contrast with this character is that like, she very much is an operative in her own right, and has a very, very specific set of things that she wants to happen and do. And, sh- and so that, that despite how like grim and like, scary that show is in some way, some ways, it was just like, amazing to watch her. I just loved that character so much for so many reasons. And she was also very staid and very calm and very elegant. I have to say that. I'm sure it was intentional, but she was just very poised uh, despite all of that and being shrewd. And that that doesn't always come together. Usually, like, shrewd is, like, raging, raging feminist. But she was shrewd and respected and also very... um, just very well put together and very, like, you know, calm. The other... I have to I have to throw uh, Julia Rees Dreyfus into the mix for Veep. Oh yeah, you for, love Veep, don't I you? I love Veep for so many reasons. And the while the description of her character has been like you know this is like narcissistic, unqualified, like cursing, you know, woman who's 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 the vice president who wants to be president. 
doesn't sound too far off from a lot of what we see. <laughs> and so this idea that, you know, this is this is such a far gone idea that you would have someone with with such a personality is on the one hand. On the other hand, I think the show does a really good job, despite the fact that she comes across as a buffoon in a lot of ways. There's a lot of cutting moments where she talks about uh, how difficult it is for her as a woman. She talks about, you know, she refers to... Um, the reason she curses so much is because she had to, like, you know, survive in her early days. She talks about that there's one favorite, favorite scene I have is when she, she's in Finland and one of her nemesis is the prime minister of Finland. And she's there and like she's giving her a gift. And her her husband, the, the prime minister's husband, gropes Selena Meyer. And there's this conversation in the hotel after the incident happens and she's talking to her aides and one of her women aides says, well, you have to say something. You have to talk about this. And she says, I can't be the woman. I'm going to just be known. No one's going to make a statue out of me because I got groped by the prime minister's (laughs) husband. And she kind of lays out to her aide why she can't come out about being groped by the prime minister's husband because she would be known. That would be her legacy. And she's like, I can't talk about being assaulted. And she's lying on a, and she's lying on the bed smoking, which she only does on international trips. And it was just, a perfect moment. Her male advisors are standing and she looks at her her aide, her woman aide, who's very confused and it's like, you really have to come out. And she's like, I'm not coming out. And she's like, that's because we live in a man's world. And she takes a puff of smoke and she turns to her aide and she says, the axis of dick. And it was just like the most perfect moment of her basically being like, yes, this is crazy. But at the end of the day, politics is a man's world and I can't talk about my sexual assault. You know, this was like a few years ago, but I thought that that the show does have these moments of really like laying out what it's like. Wow. Celeste, who do you have? Ironically, the exact same two characters. And, wow. And I literally do it. I think it's 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 incredible the the contrast between the two of them, between between uh, the character in House of Cards and the character in Veep is is what's uh, so appealing to me um, in uh, in House of Cards and the Claire Underwood character, you do have this sort of I would go beyond poised. Frankly, I would go to to sort of cold and sort of you know having this this exceptionally perfect veneer, at least in public, of always you know never uh, never a hair out of place, never a a wrong word. Um, everything's so exceptionally exceptionally calculated. Now uh, this is a woman who's obviously risen to extreme power um and it's ex- it's exciting and interesting to see how she exercises it but the idea of how she gets there is uh completely treacherous completely cold-hearted i you know her her marriage has become essentially uh a, a put on it's a it's a front uh until it ceases to exist um you know so the idea of her being still being a sort of an engaging a character from an emotional standpoint because she does have a real life she does have uh an emotional life it's just not necessarily with uh, her husband um that to me is very interesting now on on the other hand you do have this sort of uh, the silliness and the sort of uh the goofy character the Ju- uh, julia louis dreyfus character but at the same time i think she's much more much more relatable uh, than the Claire Underwood character because who, I mean, people could fantasize about being in this this plot twisty world of of House of Cards. I think the Veep character is more like like you know, dang, I spilled coffee on my shirt again. Uh, I have this really important thing to uh, to go to. I have a really important meeting. I've got to do a really good job in this presentation. This is this has got to go down perfectly. And I, you know, I. I tripped, I slipped, I whatever. Um, so I think that you have these two characters that both have power in their own ways, um, still somewhat reliant on men, still trying to deal with men or, uh, you know, succeed despite men, but, uh, both, both approachable in, in varying degrees, but both uh, still fun to watch and, you know, a way to get people into politics that might not be, which I am, I am, uh, I approve that message. I would love somebody to get into politics who was inspired by Claire Underwood, who like <laughs> stabbed her way to the top. Um, I also liked the way the show handled her abortion, mm-hmm. where it was like started out as something that she wanted to hide, but then she kind of turned it into something that, uh, like a like a plus for her something that she could use to galvanize women and i i 
curious to see whether that will ever happen in future election seasons, whether like the breastfeeding commercial will turn into the I had an abortion commercial. Um, Hannah. I got nothing for you on American television. I hate all the representations of lady politicians on American television. Wow. They never strike me as real. They're total fantasies. They're either parodies or kind of fantasies of sort of sexy power or just kind of liberal bullshit fantasies where like a woman gets elected president and like fixes the environment. And like it's just it's all wrong to me. And so all I got for you is Borgen and Birgit Nyborg, which is that Danish TV <laughs> <Is> series. That- <laughs> There is a TV series called Borgen, B-O-R-G-E-N. It's a Danish political drama. It is unbelievably great. It was hugely popular in the UK for a while, and I've watched every episode of it. There are three seasons, and she's like a minor politician who becomes the first female prime minister of Denmark. And and the other main character in it is this reporter, Katrina Fonsmark. She's like the TV One news anchor. And there's such a natural grappling of the kinds of issues that— women would realistically face like a woman would realistically face like there's the abortion scene but it doesn't go down like the way it does in america where it's like omg obvious child she had an abortion (laughs) it was no big deal it's like fuck you it's 2018 you know it just you you like watch borgen and you're like yeah it is 2018 like this is actually how it would happen these are the issues that she would deal with i feel like abortions on american tv is usually like tragedy and and such a difficult decision. It's either a tragedy and a difficult decision or it's not. And then we have to write 50,000 articles about it like, (laughs) oh, my God, it's not a tragedy. That's so radical that they portrayed it as not a tragedy. Thank you. You know, so anyway, in Borgen, it's just like she has a husband. Her husband cheats on her. They end up getting a divorce. It's like, what happens when you get a divorce and you're the prime minister? It's not so operatic. It just goes down in this realistic way. Now, I'm a realist, so I prefer my dramas that way. I totally love both like I watched Veep like I love Veep it is so funny like there are episodes of Veep I've watched over and over again but it does nothing for me in terms of like the real real like what would this like getting my head around what it would actually be like like only Borgen does that for me so um, I know you're laughing at me but it's a really good show it's a really really good show and I'm mostly laughing at the word Borgen but I do well, want to watch this show now. I would tell you you know I, I would go even further and talk about the woman who plays Birgit, who, whenever she's interviewed, says the most funny, like, like just wise things about women in power and about her own language. But I just cannot pronounce her name, so I'm not <laughs> going to talk to you about her. But if you just Google Porkin and Birgit, her name is Sidza Babbitt Knudsen. I don't know. Listeners, just Sounds right. laugh at me and then just, like, write in or send us a little, like, like uh, you know, voice memo about how to actually pronounce all these names. But um, but anyway, it's, it's the... The best on the women in power. The best. Yeah. Um, I am going to, I was so glad that nobody already took this. Um, Melly Grant on Scandal. Do we have any Scandal fans in here? Wow. Wow. Nobody, not even Danielle. Wow. I've watched shit. That falls hard in my box of like whack <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> but like, I, I like it. I watch it. It's totally intoxicating. But yeah, it doesn't so, do that thing for me. I mean, there's nothing realistic about this, the portrayal of anything in Scandal. It's all like incredibly uh, like soap opera. Nothing would ever. It's like the drama compounds season by season so that by season five you're like now there's like 800 backstories you have to deal with and everything just gets more and more bizarre but Melly grant is a pro-choice republican she starts out as i want to say a senator um and she is also actually starts out as the first lady becomes a senator and she does this sort of wendy davis style like filibuster to defend women's health care at one point um and that rockets her into the uh, onto the national stage uh, as an actual politician and not just the first lady. Um, but then by the time she becomes president, her and her husband are divorced. And so she's not only uh, for the first woman president, but she's single. And I kind of think that the most radical thing that Scandal portrayed, both when her husband was president and then when Melly Grant is president, is the depiction of a single president and how they're dating um, and how the Secret Service has to, like, bring their one night stands to and from their bedroom. Um, but then there's this one plot point in the season where Melly is president 
where the head of state of this um, fictional Middle Eastern country called Bashran uh, gets they they have like a romantic entanglement um, and it kind of puts her in a tight spot with foreign policy because he gets ousted in a coup and she has to s- decide whether to like go to war with this country to reinstate him. <laughs> and uh, then he ends up getting killed by her aides because she got too close to him and they felt like it was clouding her foreign policy decisions. So that to me was like uh, the ultimate look what will happen if we put a woman in the Oval Office, like her emotions will get in the way and we'll end up going to war with a country just because they have a really handsome prime minister. I kind of loved it, though. It's, I also like the idea that we could elect a, a single president, that it, it doesn't have to be like, oh, something is wrong with somebody if they don't have a wife or or if they haven't had uh, if they don't have a partner who's willing to stand beside them. Um, amen. I just say amen to that. Listeners, please tell us your favorite women in politics on TV. We're excited to hear from you. Let's do our recommendations. Hannah, why don't you go first? Um, I actually, okay, so I actually watched this a couple weeks ago. It is really the best thing I've seen, like, like in years. It's that movie Minding the Gap by Bing Liu about uh, skate, skate. It's about his friends who are skateboarders, but it's about American masculinity. Um, it's a documentary that he filmed over years and years. He's like 28 or something. Um, and he's just been like keeping a camera out with his friends. It's an interrogation of his mother and male violence. Um, and it is just stunningly beautiful and really like the best thing I've seen in forever. It was on HBO for a while. I hope it still is. Um, Um, But it's called Minding the Gap, uh, and it's just – it's fabulous. It's fabulous. That sounds really good. Celeste, how about you? I would definitely recommend that people check out uh, the Glamour Women of the Year Summit that's coming up uh, November 10th, November 11th. There are uh, a whole bunch of things to uh, to see and do. There are going to be speakers. There are going to be what you call experiences. And then this all leads up to our, our big awards ceremony where we honor women who are, are important in, in a number of different walks of life. It could be uh, politics. It could be entertainment. It could be business. So Glamour Women of the Year Summit, definitely check it out. Awesome. And when is that? That is November 10th and November 11th, right after the election. Cool. Um, Latifah, what do you have this week? So this week, and it's not a new show, but I know that they have made it more available. Um, If you don't have Netflix, I think you can watch it on um, some local uh, uh, PBS stations. So this is Happy Valley, um, which I absolutely love. Um, It's British TV, which I also absolutely love. Um, And the reason that I love this show, I love British crime drama generally, but uh, there's multiple things that it has going for it, including the fact that the the main character who's, uh, I think the it's a small town. She's more like a small town chief of police, but she's got a lot, the weight of the world on her shoulders. She's raising her grandson um, and because her, her daughter was uh, killed by her ex-boyfriend who then goes to prison and then she has to like battle the boyfriend coming out and wanting, wanting to access the child. Her sister lives with her who's a recovering alcoholic. Um, she herself is single and has has a lot of, you know, young people looking up to her at work. And so it's like she you just want her to thrive and she's a badass and she's, you know, got all the stuff happening at her house. And then she goes and sort of like fights crime in the streets and it has a small town feel. It's not like urban gritty. Um, there's a little bit of prettiness in it. It's a little dark in terms of some of the cases, um, but it's just the other thing about this show, which is a lot of British shows that I like in this genre, is that it also features a middle-aged woman as the the main character, which is also always very refreshing. And you want to root for her. She's got power, and um, she's got a lot of power. And it's very believable. And it's just a great way to just unplug. And and if you need someone to root for, you need to. Aww, um, I do. <laughs> yeah. is, is featuring middle-aged women in lead roles a British thing? Yes. I mean, maybe it's just the genre of like crime dramas and sort of mysteries that I like. But by far, I can't think of only a couple of U.S. shows that I like or watch where it features middle-aged women. And I don't just mean like 
middle-aged women, but like real women. Like they're they're not they're not they're like, not Robin Wright on House of Cards. No, they're not. <laughs> and so just being able to sort of see that every woman in a profession or in the job, I feel like that's so much more of a British thing than it is something that I see here, which is one of the reasons that I'm drawn. In addition to having like really strong female characters in law enforcement spaces. That sounds really good. Yeah. Um, I'm going to recommend a show that's been out for a while, but I'm always late to things. It's uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mm. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, Everyone had been telling me to watch it. I was worried it would be really corny. And it is. uh, And I don't hate it. Um, If you listen to this podcast, you probably know that I've been in the mood for some escapism in recent months. And this show, it's not pure escapism. There's definitely some serious storylines, but it's about a woman in the late 50s who uh, her life is sort of thrown into turmoil when her husband leaves her and she's been sort of like this perfect housewife. Um, and then she decides to go into comedy, which her husband did and and was just very unsuccessful at. But she has a real knack for it. Um, it has kind of this like a starry eyed view of comedy. And like, you know, you do it because you love it, even though it ruins your life, which I find a little bit dubious at this moment in history, knowing what we know about how female comedians are treated. But it is incredibly funny. I actually have laughed out loud several times while watching it, which I don't usually do when I'm watching TV. Um, And there's also a great one of the lead characters is this butch woman named Susie, who is awesome. And I'm so happy to see a masculine of center woman get such great character treatment in this show. Actually, my partner and I are dressing up as Susie and uh, Midge, the main character for Halloween uh, at a party we're throwing this weekend. There's just so many great characters in the show. Rachel Brosnan is fantastic in the lead role and I highly recommend it. I've like blown through the first season really? and I'm waiting for the second one. It's so it's gotten so many great reviews and then I see it and I'm like that's not something I think. It, it, it seems very campy. Yeah. And like, it's it's really more than that and I think so my partner was the one who was like you need to watch this show and I was always like I'm like I'll watch the first episode yeah. with you and then we'll see. I think it had to do with the font that the, t- the title is in. It sort of looks like the Bewitched font. Um <laughs> Um, but it's honestly a lot better than it seems. I'll it's try it again. really funny. I highly recommend it. You can stream it on Amazon Prime. All right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much to our production assistant, Alex Barish, and our producer, Danielle Hewitt. And thank you, Latifa. Thank you. Thanks, Hannah. Totally my pleasure. And thank you so much for calling in, Celeste. Really appreciate it. It was fun. All right, for Hannah Rosen, Latifa Lyles, and Celeste Katz, I'm Christina Cotarucci. Thanks for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.